Now the tax collector and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eat with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the countryside and go where and go and find the sheep that is is lost and find it and when he find it he rejoice put it on his shoulder and goes home then he called his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost sheep I tell you it, it's the same way there will be more rejoicing for one Oh, in heaven over one sinner who repent than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. You're not going to hold that for the whole of my talk. Get prayer for healing later. Um... Hi everyone, you're right. Uh, so, oh, turning lights on. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for us, your people. Thank you that you long to speak to us. Uh, and I pray that you would just, through the words that I've got to say, uh, and through kind of the reflections of our hearts and our discussions, Lord, would you uh, speak what you want to speak? Uh, would you make yourself known to us tonight? Amen. I don't know if you've noticed anything about the British, but we're quite a funny old people, don't you think? Uh, I'm very proud to be British, uh, but there's some weird things about British people. Uh, I came across this tweet yesterday. That weird British thing where people don't have the guts to eat the last crisp. There's a poor crisp there, no one wants to take it, because it's the last one. Or this great quote from, uh, I think it's a Hungarian English journalist. An Englishman, even if he is alone, forms an orderly queue of one. Love a good queue, don't you? Love a good queue. Get really annoyed when people don't know how to queue. Um, uh, and all the way that sometimes British people don't always quite mean what they say. So I don't know if a British person has ever said to you, with the greatest respect. <laughs> what they really mean is, you are an utter fool and I have no respect for you whatsoever. Or has a British person ever said to you, well, that's certainly one way of looking at it, which means that is absolutely the wrong way of looking at it. I don't really know where these British ways of doing things have come from, but they're part of our culture. They're just the way that we do things around here. Uh, and people maybe who come from other countries, I'm sure Franzi is enjoying getting used to our British ways uh, as she's over here. Um, people have to understand that our culture is different and it take, can take a while to adjust in fact, every group that you've ever been part of, um, every organization that you've ever worked for, every place that you've ever lived will have had a culture, a way of doing things. Many of them are just there without being spoken about. So the question is not, do we have a culture? But rather, what are we doing to set our culture? Is our culture determined and purposeful? 
Or is it just there sweeping us along? Here at All Hallows, we've got a vision. And our vision is to be an explosion of joy by making Jesus known in our local community to see lives transformed. And I hope that if you've been with us any amount of time, you will have heard us talk about our vision because we're passionate about it. Uh, It's why we exist. It's our purpose. It's our destination. If you're relatively new, then we'd love to talk more to you about what this means and what this means for our lives as individuals and our lives as a community together. So this is kind of our destination. That's where we're headed. But the question that we're going to be looking at today is how will we travel there along the way? We want the way that we do things around here to be a decision that we take on purpose, that we will purposefully journey together, that we'll think carefully about what we value and what we enjoy. Because we believe it's not just the destination that matters. It's how we journey to get there along the way. So this month is all about inviting us to join together in thinking about, reflecting upon, and building together a culture in this church that will bring transformation to the heart of Bo, that will bring transformation and hope to our community. So this week I'm going to speak to us about what, as a church, we want to value together. Next week, Becky's going to speak to us about what we want to enjoy together as a church. And then at the end of the month, Chris is going to speak to us about where we're going. Um, And we've got Joe and Hannah who are going to be turning some of these ideas uh, into this amazing artwork that we can kind of see um, emerging uh, behind us. And so they're going to be doing that this Sunday and next Sunday. By the end of next Sunday, we're going to have this piece of art that's going to reflect some of what we're talking about. But we read this morning a story from one of the Gospels, from Luke's Gospel. And in this story, we met Jesus and we met the Pharisees. And both of them had a vision. Both of them had a vision of the kingdom of God coming. But they made very different decisions about how they would travel towards that destination. For the Pharisees, what was central was this idea of purity and holiness. The Pharisees were a group of teachers who thought that the people of Israel had stuffed up, that they'd fallen short, and that was why the Romans were in charge, that was why the nation was a mess. And they said, if we can get back to really doing what God wants, if we can get back to doing the right thing, to observing the law, to being pure and holy, then the kingdom of God will come, then it'll all be all right. Um, But that meant that those who were deemed to be on the outside, the outcasts, the sinners, well, they they were to be avoided. They were to be kept away. Because if it's all about how pure and holy we are, then that affects the way that we live and interact. So this guy, Jesus, well, he really wound them up. Because he would hang out and spend time with the very people that they deemed the, the unworthy ones, that they deemed the ones who should be outside, who should be ignored. And they, the, the Pharisees were getting a little bit hot under the collar about this all. And then Jesus decided, well, I know, I'm going to wind them up even more. And I'm going to tell them this ridiculous story. So suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Now, this story of the lost sheep, I don't know if it was ever told to you at Sunday school. But I was thinking about this. And I realized when this story was told to me, I think it was told all wrong. So it was, the way it was told to me was you've got this farmer. He's got this nice little sheep pen that's really safe. And he's sort of standing at the gate. And he's counting them in one by one. And he's got 100 sheep. And he gets to 99. And he's like, oh, where's that other sheep? So he shuts the gate. He leaves his 99. And he wanders off until he finds the one sheep. But where this story was told, well, actually, 
the, the sheep would have been out on a Judean hillside. And a Judean hillside wasn't a particularly safe place if you were a sheep. Because there were mountain wolves, there were lions around the corner, there were all kinds of things. So you've got these sheep scattered on a hillside, where they're not really safe, except if the shepherd's there looking after them. And Jesus says, well, if you had these sheep, and there were only nine, you had 99 there, one was missing, well, isn't the obvious thing to do to abandon the 99, that's your livelihood, your investment, everything you own, and wander off to find this one sheep? And the answer is, well, no, that's not the sensible thing to do. The sensible thing is to go, I've lost a sheep, but I've got 99 here. So I'll stick with them, make sure they're safe, because that's where I'm going to make my money. That's my investment. It's a crazy idea to leave them all to the wolves and the lions to go and find this one sheep. So Jesus is really kind of ramming this point home, not being sheepish about it at all. It's not, it's not a woolly point that he's making. He's really being clear. The one matters. You could say, in fact, that he would prioritise the relationship. Uh, I'm sorry, I know, I know these are getting really, really bad. But by telling this ridiculously upside-down story, Jesus counters the culture of the Pharisees. He declares another way of doing life together. And we've sort of used some of that to define what it is that we value as a family here at All Hallows. And what we're not trying to say is that being All Hallows is the only way of being church. There are churches all over the country that are different, all over even this area that are different and are wonderful. But actually what we've set out to be is something distinctive and something purposeful. Thinking about what does it look like to live this Jesus life together as a family in this part of Bow. And we want to be uh, proud of that. We want to be purposeful in that. And we want to love and enjoy that together. And at the heart of it all, and I guess if you take nothing else away from today, the heart of it all is that as All Hallows, we value being family. We're not here first and foremost to be a church meeting. We're not here first and foremost to be a congregation. We're not even here first and foremost to be an organisation that do good work. We're here because God has changed our lives in Jesus. He's called us to leave our old ways of doing things behind, to come together and be a family together with one Father in heaven. And kind of we look around and we see our brothers and our sisters That's what we want to create in this place. Brought into relationship with God and through that brought into relationship with each other. So we are a family. And I think one thing that really defines a family, if you go to visit a family, is is their meal table. It's the place where they come together. If you go into a home and you see how they eat together, I think it will tell you a lot about how that family functions. So if as all hallows we're to be a family, I wonder what our table is is going to look like? What are the things around our table that are going to be important for us? And what are we going to value? Well, first of all, the shepherd recklessly and foolishly pursues the one sheep. So we decided as a family that we are going to be a family who value each other. Jesus tells this ridiculous, over-the-top story to force us to reckon with what it means to run after relationships rather than just pursuing a standard of holiness. So here at All Hallows, we look for the one. We appreciate the journey. We celebrate the small. We recognize that at times, we all are and have been lost sheep who needed finding. We have all at times relied on someone 
to abandon what's important to them and to seek us out. So that's how we treat each other. We don't have rules for membership or standards of behaviour. We invite people into relationship. We commit to one another even when it's difficult. Because if we're going to be a family together, well, we're different. And getting on isn't always easy. But it's in those relationships that are difficult. It's in those times where you purposefully are spending time with those who are different from yourself, who see things differently, who live life differently. Actually, in those relationships, we find glimpses of the divine. There's this thing that my college keep going on about, which is generous orthodoxy. It's this idea that actually we can all be Christian, but some of us have different views. But that's okay, because we disagree well. And it might be that there are people in our family that we don't always agree on everything with. If we agree with everything about everyone about everything, well, that's a little bit boring, isn't it? Actually, it's in some of those disagreements, it's in some of those differences that we find real growth. So we want to be a family where we appreciate each other for who they are rather than because they're exactly the same as us or they think the same way or they act the same way. So we honour one another. We listen to each other. We give them space to be who they really are. And we see, rather than what I can tell them, what can I learn from the other? We try to be quick to say sorry and quick to forgive, recognising that as lost sheep it is God who has pursued us. I mean, it was amazing just now when I just shared about Nicholas and Clara who needed help. And within two minutes we had three people who'd already said, yeah, I'm going to take some food around this week. And that's an incredible sign of our community coming together to honour the other. And even those people probably don't, may not even know Nicholas and Clara, but actually through that and through what um, some people have done this week and just helping them out with their kids, uh, they know now that they are a valued and cherished part of this community. And there's um, a lady who came along to Fern Street maybe a couple of years ago. She's a mum, she's got a little uh, son, a young son. Uh, she doesn't speak English very well and she came to learn English. Um, she was loved by the people there. Uh, they took an interest in her. They took an interest in her son. They began to be willing to spend time with her, even outside of the courses they put on. And she came to realise that they valued her and they loved her. And so through that, she grew in confidence. I think she's now doing a course three days a week, learn, learning English at a higher level so she can apply for some jobs, something that would probably have been unimaginable for 18 months ago. But through people investing in her, through people saying we value you for who you are, she begins to see the kind of valued person that she is in the sight of God. So here's the bottom line. We value one another because we are valued by God. And in doing that valuing of the other, we hope that they too might see that God values them incredibly. And I guess as we've just begun to hint at in these stories... That appreciating and that valuing doesn't stop at the borders of our community. It goes beyond. And so we want to be a family who value grace. Grace lived out in our community. We try really hard as a church not to talk about those who are in and those who are out. We try really hard as a church not to use language like us and them. We try to envision what it means to be a church in the community, for the community, with doors that are open and edges that are permeable. Because the Pharisees could tell you very clearly who was in and who was out. And the radical thing about Jesus is not that he says to them, guys, why don't you draw that line in a different place? 
He says, actually, I want to challenge the very concept of a line that excludes people from the grace of God. And he does that very practically by picking out those who would seem to be the furthest away and making sure those are the ones that he shows are nearest to God, those who have a place at the table. So in this family, we open our doors, we extend our tables, we set another place. We hold our community in our hearts and we live out Jesus' grace embodied in our lives. Our prayer at All Hallows is if that friend of yours walked through those doors, you know that friend who would never walk through those doors. If they walked in, well, maybe they'd find some of this God stuff weird. But our prayer is that they'd know they're welcome and they'd know they're wanted. But the thing is, people won't know they're welcome and won't know they're wanted unless we're willing to tell them. This isn't just about inviting someone to church. Church is something we do uh, here two hours a week on a Sunday. But actually what church really is about is the other 166 hours. It's about the whole of our lives being a testimony to God's grace for those around us. There's two people, Sandra and Jade, who come to our morning congregation and they really inspire me in this area. They live just down the road from me and every time I walk past their house, their doors are open. They're out in the community. They're inviting people in. They're uh, engaging with people. They're showing love and grace to those around them. Because they are choosing to live their lives positioned and purposed by grace. They're choosing to believe that what God has given them is given in order to give away. And I know there are many others who live their lives like that. And it was wonderful to hear Lou sharing about some of the stuff that Eden are doing. And that idea of living deep. Um, And I am so convinced that what Eden have done and are doing over the past seven years or more, a group of people deciding to come to this estate, to live here and to live deep and to live purposefully grace-filled lives, has not just changed a few lives, but has changed the whole nature of the Lincoln estate. And that that change will last for years to come. And, 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 and again, I know it's not, not just restricted to the Eden team. There are many here who have made that decision of how they use their home, of how they use their time to live grace-filled, purposeful lives that people around them might see what it means that Jesus has come to invite them in. But it can be difficult. And I think, again, what Lou Sharon captured a little bit of that, it can be difficult because the shepherd set out to find the sheep and he didn't even have a guarantee that he would find the sheep. And when he found the sheep, he didn't even have a guarantee that it would want to come home. Well, I guess the sheep wouldn't have much choice because he'd take it home. But you know what I mean. Like you, you, you're setting out to call someone home and you don't even know if they're going to come. If you don't even know if they're going to respond. And when we set out to live lives of hope and love, we risk being let down. We risk being hurt. And there's two very specific people in my mind right now that I'm thinking of who have wandered away and who I am so desperate to see back home in their father's house. But they've kind of distanced themselves. They've kind of seen the love that's offered and not always accepted it because of the pain and the brokenness of their hearts. And in that situation, it's a lot easier to go, well, maybe if I just stop loving, maybe if I just stop hoping, maybe if I just stop praying, it won't hurt quite so much but Jesus is calling us to be people with soft hearts who love against the odds who persist in hope 
even for those who seem like they have fallen so far, and even for those who seem to have refused the offer. Jesus never stops pursuing the one, and he calls us to live lives too. He calls us to come back to his grace, because we're a family who value grace because he has placed grace in our hearts. And he calls us to come back and say, Jesus, I can't love on my own. Give me the grace to carry on. Jesus asks us to be a community of grace from start to finish. And he is the one who supplies that grace to meet our needs. And because the shepherd recklessly leaves the 99, because he leaves his whole livelihood behind to pursue the one, we are going to be a family who value risk. We don't want to be a family that plays things safe. We don't want to be a church that just puts on a good show. We don't want to be a church that's got all the right answers and the right doctrine. But we want to live out this Jesus life in a way that's relevant for our community. In a way that finds new ways to continue to tell our community that they are valued and they are loved. So what do we do? Well, we adventure together. We create and we innovate and we give it a go. There's a problem here. I hate failure. I hate feeling like I'm the one who's stuffed up. I'm the one who's got it wrong. Even when I do something and loads of people tell me how great it is, I still obsess over the little things that I think, well, that didn't go well and I didn't get that right. And I beat myself up and tell me that it's no good. And so I know the natural tendency in me is to shrink back rather than to step out, to not do anything until I'm sure it will succeed because I'm afraid. Well, I won't text that person and invite them to church because they might take it the wrong way. I'm not going to pray for this person right now because I might look silly. I won't suggest this new idea I have for All Hallows because, well, I might have to then do it and it might all go wrong and fail. But Jesus is teaching me something. Jesus is teaching me that the courage he offers can be stronger than our fears. A few of us on the leadership team were at a conference this week and we had a guy come and speak to us and he brought this out in the most beautiful way. When I am afraid, when I am fearful, that is a chance to encounter the Jesus who gives me courage. That is maybe not someone saying to me, you shouldn't do this. That's maybe a reason to do it because Jesus is the one who is greater than my fears. For us as a community, this is so important. If we're going to adventure together, then we have to help one another to never say, but I could never do that. We want to see the whole of our community released into what God has for them, discovering their giftings and becoming all that God has created them to be. Is there something that you would love to do, but you've always thought you wouldn't be up to it? Would you be willing in the coming weeks or months to step out? to ask for permission, to give it a go. To say, well, maybe, just maybe, this isn't about, I couldn't do that. Even that thought in me is about God calling you to something new. For us to experience something more of the amazing giftings and grace that God has put in you. And in this, we're creative. Because we believe that God has placed creativity in the heart of each of us. And that looks very different for all of us. But again, we've got to stop ourselves saying, oh, but I'm not creative. God is a creative God and he has made you in his image to be creative and innovative. 
And this is because none of us in this community have all the knowledge that we need on church. None of us have got all the answers. We want to be a community that explore and learn and grow together. We want to be a community and say, that, well, let's try new things. Let's experiment with doing things differently. It was incredible when I first joined this church uh, seven or so years ago. There were a couple of times where Ellie and I said to Chris and Becky, oh, well, we'd love this to happen. We'd love there to be something like this. And Chris and Becky said, well, great, go for it. Do it. And, then, and what we want to be, and we want to continue to have that culture in this church, that entrepreneurial, go for it. Give it a go. We're behind you 100%. Uh, and, and we even celebrate when it all goes wrong, when it doesn't work, because we had a go. We stepped out, we learned something, and we move on and we try again. Because there are thousands of people on our estate waiting to hear that God values and loves them. So I think that's worth risking something, giving something a go, trying something out. And if it doesn't work, trying again, trying something different. Until something works, then that's great. And through this all, we have a Jesus who stands in front of the Pharisees and fails to understand their neat religious categories. He fails to understand uh, this boxing in that the Pharisees have of saying, well, this person's in and that person's out. If you keep this rule, then you'll be okay. No, Jesus teaches us to be a family who value real life. We recognize that we live in mess and in pain and in difficulty, surrounded by others who are also live in pain and mess and difficulty. And the tragic news that we've heard this weekend shows us that a neat religious message or a triumphalist everything-will-be-fine faith is not what we need. We need a faith that meets people where they are, in their lives of mess and pain, that values people in the midst of it all. So we choose to be a local church. We choose to be a church that live deep in our community, that get to know and love this turf and this place and these people. We choose to do that with our lives, to spend time wherever we are, going deep with those around us, having space and time to love the communities, all the communities in which we find ourselves. We share our lives with those around us and we listen to and learn from them. We love enough to be hurt when it all goes wrong. And when everything falls apart, well, that's where we practice the Jesus way of resurrection life. It's a story that's told countless times. It's a story of a child who walks into one of the clubs here or at Fern Street and find space and freedom to be the person they were created to be. Where a volunteer takes their name away, having only met them once or twice, and commits to praying for them each week. And where another helper gives them space to open up about their broken home, showing them that it's okay to be sad, that in this place they are valued and they are loved for who they are. It's a story of that friend who's relapsed again and seems like they're beyond hope. Where a group get together not to despair, but to decide to pray. And to decide to keep holding that person in prayer, hoping for them when they can't hope. Believing that there is still a future in God. It's a story, a bit of which Lou shared earlier, about a devastating stabbing on our streets. Where we find that both the person stabbed and the person doing the stabbing have relationships 
with people in our church and making the decision that rather than just despairing, we're going to continue to pursue those relationships, that people are going to continue to stand, even with that person who now faces justice for what they have done, still believing that there is hope for them. Because this is our hope. We don't serve a God who told us a few nice things or gave us a little way to live better. We serve a good shepherd who relentlessly searches for the lost sheep. We serve, we serve a shepherd who went to hell and back for our sakes. We serve a shepherd who went to the grave and then returned so that we would know in the darkest of hours and in the darkest of situations, hope still persists. That death would never have the final say. One of Jesus' followers, Paul, wrote it like this. And Chris uh, mentioned this earlier. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We're not here to tell our community just some niceties about how life could be better. We're here to value the real life of our community to bring the Jesus hope of resurrection life to them. To see transformation and hope emerging in the pain, in the brokenness, and in the devastation. And we do that by being family together. We do that by pressing in, by saying, yes, I want to be a part of this. So I love us to think about that challenge tonight, that actually this culture doesn't happen because I say it. This culture doesn't happen because we write it somewhere in a document or because it sounds good. This culture happens because individuals in our church say, yeah, I get this. I want to be a part of this. I want to press in. So we're just going to challenge ourselves today. How do we do this? Well, we choose to show up and we choose to step out. We choose to say, yeah, this is a community that I want to be part of. I want to be in, not just... um, like really leaning in, really saying, yes, I can see that this culture only happens if each of us contribute, if each of us value the other, if each of us live lives of grace together, if each of us take those risks, step out when it would be easier to shrink back, if each of us value the real life around us and believe that in the midst of real life, Jesus speaks and Jesus brings hope. So will you show up? And will you step out? Will you present yourself in this community? Will you say, yes, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. And, and I know there, I look around, there are people here who've done that for years. But there's an invitation again, isn't there, today to say, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be a part of this. How can we continue to grow in this culture? And yeah, what are the places where I could step out? What are the places where I could say, yes, I want to be a part of this? And there are kind of three easy ways that we can think about how we might do this. We can pray. We've talked a lot. We've heard this this evening several stories where actually prayer is needed, where hope is needed. We've talked about the church we want to build. That doesn't happen because we've got great leaders. That happens because Jesus moves amongst his people. That happens because uh, in the heavenly realms we pray and stuff changes. So can you commit afresh to praying for All Hallows this month and in the months to come? 
And then are there ways that you think, yeah, I could be in. I could serve. I could get involved. Uh, Ways that fit with our lives. Again, I guess it comes back to being creative. Some of us can say, well, I work during the week, so I can't do anything. But actually, there are ways that we can get involved. There are ways that we can contribute. There are ways that we can think about, well, are there new ways of, of acting and living and serving that we can be involved in? And then, could you think about giving? And we know people give in all kinds of ways to the church, generously with their time, with their relationships, or with their love, and with their finances. And actually, a lot of what we do only happens because people are generous with their finances. There are lots of people here who give very generously to the church. Give to them that mission, that idea that Bo can be transformed by the Father's love. So I'd love to just challenge each of us this month to just visit that area once again, and particularly the area of financial giving. And it can be hard sometimes to talk about, but actually, whether you're already giving regularly to the church or not, I'd love you just to commit this month to praying uh, about what God's calling you to do. He might be calling you to kind of start committing to give regularly. He might be challenging you about maybe just seeing, saying, you give this much, could you give a little bit more? Could you step up a little bit? Um, because we know that actually lives are changed by this church being here. Lives are changed by us stepping in, uh, getting involved and saying, yeah.